Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. In this episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing more conscious leadership and leading transformation differently. Today, I am delighted to welcome Deborah Abbott-Moulin, Leadership and Culture Change Facilitator and Podcaster. Debs, welcome to the show. Good morning, Susie. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Debs, you have over 20 years of experience in the world of facilitation, leadership and team performance, and you've dedicated your career to leveraging diversity across boundaries, organisational, cultural, personal, and you know, accelerating our move to solutions to some of our wicked problems. You've worked with organisations, large and small, both as an independent consultant and also as part of an organisation, but with the same quest looking to unlock potential that is locked into rigid systems and looking to collaborate more. And that is indeed where we met on the topic of trying to bring more humanity to business in a more tangible way. You are also the founder of the podcast series Leading Dragons, looking also to unlock the potential for new and more conscious leaders. So congratulations, first of all, on your podcast series. How is your community of dragons coming along? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I launched uh, Leading Dragons. Um, My very first one was the 24th of September this year. So it's all very new and fresh. So far, I've hosted 10 podcasts with 10 fantastic, inspiring leading dragons. I've got more and more people that are coming to me based on the the approach of this podcast series, which is about being raw and being real and not sugarcoating messages, but saying things as they are and what needs to basically um, Mm. change within organizations. Mm. We're also going to be building very soon a an online a community because the, okay. the purpose of, of leading dragons is not simply to provide people with a think tank around how to move forward as the traditional leadership paradigm is, is falling away and becoming obsolete. Mm. But it's really about enabling and accompanying people to move into action and being the change that they want to see in in work. I I just want to pick up on on all that and unpack it a little bit because when I first met you, your energy inspired me and I love the authentic way you showed up to our conversation and I'm hearing it now in, you know, making it raw, making it real and the think tank, but I'm hearing a think and a do tank. So a call to action in terms of um, what you're trying to get leaders to do and how they need to become more authentic about just just putting it out there essentially and how they show up. So have you always been like that? Have you always been raw and real and just putting yourself out there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have as myself, I have been, but I always remember when I was uh, when I was little, like really little, like probably like since the age of three. So I'm a, I'm a family of five. Mm-hmm. Um, we're five siblings and my father was uh, very much of an authoritarian figure and um, we were born and uh, born and bred in in London but I remember seeing my parents friends when they'd come come over for dinner or for tea or whatever I, I'd often look at them and go they're not being real like they're just uh, pretending mm-hmm. I noticed very very young age that people were behaving according to how they wanted to be perceived by others. And I also actually remember teaching myself 
to pretend to believe adults when I knew that they were not telling me the truth. That's really interesting. Let me just, so you taught yourself to believe them when you felt that they weren't telling the truth. Why did you do that? Because I was scared to confront. Mm -hmm. I was scared to what was going to happen, you know, if if I was to, to challenge. So whilst on the one hand, I was in, always encouraged to ask questions, I was also mm. in a highly reputed, inverted commas, um, girls' school um, in Hampton. I, I remember it was very much, you know, keep quiet in the classroom. And if you ask questions, you know, you're pretty daft because you haven't followed, you haven't understood the lesson. Okay. Um, so, you know, it was, yeah, so I was, I was pretty, you know, torn between, um, you know, what I felt was right, but what I was actually you know, how I should be and how I was expected to behave from students and how, you know, by seeing also others doing that that same thing too, which is, you know, behaving according to how they believed others expected them to behave rather than behaving uh, authentically. Mm. And, and that's really interesting because I know you've been both a consultant and part of an organisation. So if I take that piece about fitting in uh, and being or belonging uh, if you take the Brenny Brown discussion around whether you know you're going to fit in and get everything externally validated and fit into what the, that culture is or whether you're going to be authentic and raw and real to take your words from before and stand out as yourself what, what inspired you to join an organization and and how did you fit in or did you belong? When I was an independent I was an independent for close to 10 years I had my own company and I, as a leadership facilitator, and I also co-facilitated a number of a series of, of, of bespoke programs and, and workshops around team performance for various clients. But ultimately, the, all, the whole purpose and the whole uh, mission behind my work was to accompany people in gaining insight around what was not right, what was not serving them in the system, in their culture, in mm. their organisational culture, and what they needed to do to change it, to find and to build a smarter way of working together. After doing that, after so many years, I mean, it was a lot of work preparing mm. workshops to make sure that they were, you know, energising and impactful and that the client was left with a whole um, uh, roadmap and feeling uh, confident in that. I realised after it was nearly six years, I realised, but hold on a minute, you know, all this dipping in and out of, with clients is not actually bringing that long-lasting change because I'm only dipping out as a consultant. Mm -hmm. And then when I'd go back to the client three or six months down the line, they would have retained typically only 20% mm. of what was learned and discussed and all the insights that they gained, you know, from the previous workshop. So it was like having to start all over again. And I thought, actually, my calling being to be a catalyst in helping organizations move into smarter um, organizational cultures, as long as I was outside, working from the outside in, that was not really going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I thought, actually, I need to hang up the key, or I don't know how you say, put it under the doormat, close the business, and go back as working in-house and work from the inside out. Mm -hmm. See how I was going to impact organizational cultural change yeah. from the inside. I mean that's interesting because it's it's a very different experience. So before we come back to that experience, what was your biggest challenge therefore once you'd stepped on the into the inside, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, my biggest challenge, simply put, is most 
employees, I mean, most of them not wanting to really challenge the status quo. Mm -hmm. So they were putting politics first. At the end of the day, you know, they'd reel right back and go, Mm. we can't do this. Mm. Um, And they would, and so with politics first, that what did that mean? That meant that uh, they that, that was a choice mm. people, that people did individually and collectively to go. Oh no, I can't do that. I can't challenge right. this. Mm. We've always done it this way. Mm. Um, what what's the hierarchy going to say? This won't be accepted mm. to the detriment of what of the common goal to the detriment of innovative solutions mm. and mm. to the detriment of self integrity. So for me, it was very much that it was very much. Um, you know, people, you know, you think, you think you're on the right track and they're going, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Let's try and do it a bit different different way. Mm. Then you start losing people and, Mm. and then you're back to square one again. That's really interesting. I mean, you talk about their choice not to challenge the status quo. Do you feel that like that was a conscious choice that they were making? (laughs) That's um, a loaded question. Yeah, it's it's not supposed to be easy, right? I, mean, mm. I think it's actually um, it's a bigger question that can be asked in all areas of our life because we are all parts of different systems: the social system, the educational system, the organisational system. Mm. And I think ultimately the question comes down. I mean, I, it's not for me to judge, but I do believe that it is yes a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the question is, does it sit well with you? Are you happy with what this system, how mm. the system serves you and what it offers you or not? What is negotiable? What is non-negotiable? For you, mm. basically? So, I mean, if I look at all the resistance to change and the, you're right, the individual decision of what is negotiable, non-negotiable and where you're going to position yourself regarding what's going on. What was your biggest achievement whilst you were within an organisation in terms of moving the needle? Inside an organisation, my biggest achievement was that I was able to hoard the cats and (laughs) and bring all the senior stakeholders of this. Um, It was a global training programme that we collectively, we we designed, we created Mm. and deployed. And Switzerland was the first country on the the global scheme of things that rolled out that program so I I was feeding back the regional and global uh, management as we prepared the program but working very closely with these um, uh, senior stakeholders that were difficult to get together in a room and never mind you know and jump jump through all those the 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 governance loopholes Mm. to come to a final outcome and a successful outcome which leads me to the other big, you asked me earlier your question, which was what was your biggest organisational challenge? Yeah. And the other one was excessive collaboration. When, when governance is so heavy, it slows everything down and it exhausts people. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the Harvard Business Review, they, talk, they call it excessive collaboration. A lot of it is actually unnecessary. And I think it brings me to my, you know, walking the talk in organisational culture, uh, looks very different as a consultant. You already said that, you know, you felt that only 20% of what, what they only retained 20% of what was learned and discussed in when you went in as, as an independent consultant. What are your thoughts on that? Like we were talking about earlier, I think we need to demystify what organisational culture is. Hmm. 
And it's at the same time, it's the most important. It's the foundation of the operation, Mm. the running of a company, the running of an activity, of a system. So, you know, we can we can demystify it. And by demystifying it, I mean, okay, so what does it mean? What what does our culture look like today? Breaking it down into different aspects. How are we working today and what is it that we can change mm. so that we are able to build a, a, yeah, a smarter working environment to face the new um, landscape and the landscape of tomorrow? Mm. And as a leadership facilitator, I have... Out of experience, I have been able to go, obviously, collectively with a dysfunctional team. Mm. They can be turned around. The culture can be turned around in, you know, right down to three hours. Obviously, there's a lot of upstream work and a lot of preparation, you know, up front before rolling out the, the workshops. But, yes, a dysfunctional team can be turned around. And it's all about, you know, how committed the team are collectively and individually and the team head. Mm. They're committed to that, then you can, you know, magic can happen. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's also about energy, isn't it? So as a leadership facilitator or as an internal change maker or as an internal leader, all of this takes resource and it takes energy. So, you know, what did you learn about energy management and yourself in those situations? Do you know, Susie, I love that question about energy. Um, <laughs> as uh, Nikola Tesla said, everything is energy. Yeah. So if we look at the whole universe and we see everything as energy, so thoughts are energy, emotions are energy, beliefs are energy, everything that we put out is energy. Our reality is actually co-created. It's created by starting from the cell. So when we see it that way, so the, 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 we can talk about energy frequencies. Mm. I guess everyone can. And, and, and it's actually, it's, it's rediscovering what energy frequencies are. I mean, mm. babies and animals, for example, they know intuitively, they know when people are, you know, walk into a room and are vibrating at a high frequency or a lower frequency. Mm. And they'll respond to that. And then we, we've become, as we moved into adulthood, typically we've become so conditioned to adapting and to accepting and working in the system, system and fitting in that we've kind of disconnected from, you know, the fundamental, which is energy frequency. And energy frequency is really fascinating because low frequency is typically at the far end of the low frequency scale. It's fear. Yeah. And the high end of the energy frequency scale is love. Mm-hmm. So if we talk about, let's say, for example, decisions. Yeah. What do, how, do you, how do you and I make decisions on a daily basis? Do we make them from a place of fear? Mm-hmm. Or do we make them from a place of love? And then there's everything in between. And we can master each of our energies. So what did I learn from energy management? Well, I have to say that as a consultant, uh, as a facilitator, particularly I learned to master my energy and work with ambiguity Mm. and large groups smaller groups and just work in the moment when you're working in an organization where there are a lot of dynamic pulls Mm. and lots of people to deal with it can be difficult you can disconnect from your own energy because you're totally sucked into the um, the vortex Mm. organization and people's pressures and deadlines so, yeah, except that when you disconnect completely, you can pay a very high price. Yeah. 
And and it's it's bringing me back to the idea of dragons and and fearless leadership. Yeah. I mean, we share a love of sort of optimism, transparency, and, and truth. You know, pushing for a bigger cause, which is simple to say, but uh, is not simple to put into action. And and I think you know, if I look at the Taoist sort of thinking around dragons they symbolize wisdom and power and and strength and sort of a metaphor for the essence of creation of power so we're going from a culture or a feeling of fear to i'm going to put courage in between fear and love okay in terms of how one shows up in in a system or an organization so this is how we connected on the need to lead more fearlessly and you know connect on a more of a human level so what is fearless leadership for you what does it bring to that energy management? Yeah, I'd just like to uh, just go back a, a, a tiny bit, Susie. You talked about courage and, yeah. and putting courage between fear and love. Courage comes from the French word, cœur, means the heart. Yeah. In fact, courage is a form of love because love comes from the heart. And so that's quite interesting. We could have a separate debate on that. We could. And it's so interesting because I think it's I don't relate the word love to organize, working in an organization. And I think that's probably very indicative of, you know, how yeah. people live in organizational cultures today. But but you're right. And it's really interesting for you to underline that, that courage is actually a form of love. I think love when we love with capital L. And I think we it's, it's quite a vast, there's a vast definition of it. So Going back to your question, Susie, about why why leading dragons, I was hit with um, advanced burnout at the end of last year, and I worked through it, and I healed from the burnout. And part of my healing was discovering Taoist teachings, Mm. which led me to launch leading dragons. And typically, uh, the dragon in the Western culture, the Western world, is depicted as a savage, harmful creature dangerous creature. In the Eastern culture, the dragon is actually depicted as a creature that stands in its power, Mm. fearless, facing adversity. And I feel that this is what is really needed now. Mm -hmm. We have had in the past, um, you know, a good 20 years of thought leaders, access to thought leaders through online teachings, books, and you name it. And yet today, I mean, I am quite, I'm actually quite shocked that there's still the majority of organisations that still tick along just like they did 20 years ago, despite all this thought leadership. <laughs> so I think enough is enough. And mm. I think, you know, my burnout was a result of my being disconnected from myself, mm-hmm. no longer connected to my energy. And we've got to remember that our energy, it's our, each one of us, our resourcefulness. Mm. And with the, all with resources, so many resources that have fallen away this year with this global pandemic, which yeah. is uh, money, uh, financial resources, people resources, time resources. What's left? It's our it's our inner drive, our, our inside fire. Mm. It's for each one of us to decide. Well, what are we going to do? Are we are we going to make life happen to us or happen for us? Mm. Are we going to step into our power and, and decide that actually this is what we, this is actually what needs to change? And I'm going to, I'm not going to sit and wait for the people in power to make a change because that's just not going to happen. Mm. Am I actually going to stand in the face of adversity? Now, careful, obviously, you can't just put your neck out there on the line. Clearly. Um, but the question is, you know, it, it's, a, it's a question and, it's, and it goes back to, and this is a non judgmental question because everyone is on their own journey. 
Mm. Is it, are you ready to compromise your values? Mm-hmm. You know, are you compromising your values today? Or are you actually, you know, actually perfectly happy with, you know, where you work and how things are done at work in the organisation and even beyond in life? Mm. So back to the system, the organisational system. And so for me, I was compromising my values and that's what led me to my sickness, my burnout. So going back to the, the love part, which is, you know, you talk about humanity, injecting humanity back into organisation. Well, that starts with self-love. And when I say self-love, it's about respecting oneself, yeah. acceptance. And there, in fact, the three principles of Taoism, which are acceptance, non-judgment and kindness Mm. and the world the working world would be a different place if each one of us could practice that more on a a daily basis and reflect these three principles in our behaviors with each other Mm. yeah of acceptance non-judgment and kindness which you know I'm a big believer in human systems and for me human systems are about that they're the intricate web of sort of values and skills and relationships and interactions that are needed to collaborate more effectively. But, you know, they all start from self-love, if I take that definition, and they move out to create a system that collaborates in a more human way. What's your take on that, on human systems in organisations? My question first is, okay, so what what are human systems? And if we were to review the definition of a system, a system has three characteristics. So it's got... uh, a common goal, obviously, mm. hence mm. the existence of a system. It's uh, an organisation, so a system needs to have order to be ordered in such a way to function. Mm-hmm. And interdependence between the different cogs, so um, the cogs being us, being yeah. beings. And so, so that's the. Those are the three main characteristics of the system. So, but what is a human system? So, a human system is all about the culture. So, how that system. Mm-hmm is behaving what does it look like when it's operating so we go back to culture organizational culture so in the human system are people aligned or are they working in silos Mm -hmm. Uh, have people built partnerships between them or are they ruled by a hierarchy Mm. are people encouraged to take risks or is it uh, is it more of a risk averse culture is the culture, does it have, do people share the same values? Or is the human system ruled by rules, basically, mm. rule-based management? Mm. Are people uh, in a human system, are they encouraged? Do they, are they actually, is there curiosity in the conversations mm. or is there scrutiny? There's a lot. Is there an innovative approach or more of an intellectual conformity mm. happening in that system? And it's all about how people are working together and how they're be- are employees empowered or are they just expected to take orders? Uh, is learning in- inside the human system, inside the culture, is learning employee owned and uh, managed, uh, supported, sorry, by the organisation mm. or is it described? So um, it's basically around finding that balance between the different polarities of whatever you're talking about, whether it's fear and courage or siloed ways of working or interconnection or hierarchy or partnership, which comes back to your question of, are you ready to compromise your values? And essentially, are you ready to constantly redefine your boundaries as a leader, but also uh, as an individual uh, in that system and, and what impact you want to have? So, I mean, we could have another 
two-hour discussion on that, but but I won't. I will be disciplined. But but I will ask you what you think needs to be done now and what your call to action for leaders is. What needs to be done now is for each one of us to really take this time. I think um, uh, I, I've really seen 2020, uh, obviously a challenging year, but it's also been a year of opportunity and an invitation to to look inside ourselves, mm. to reconnect with the self and see what it is, what is the legacy that we want to leave behind? What is it that we can start doing? What, what, what can you do on an individual basis? Mm. And so what needs to be done is to move movement. We need to move into action. We can't just keep talking and overthinking and self-sabotaging and all mm. the rest of that. We need to move away from fear-based energy, fear-based decisions and thinking and move into a place of just step into our power and, and just go for it. What is your priority, number one, in terms of the change that you would like to see happen inside your workplace? And what can you do about it on an individual level? And, and working from there, start seeing, okay, so who are the people who have a similar thinking to you? Mm. Who could be your tribe? You know, start recruiting your tribe. Mm. We can't do things single-handedly. We're meant to work together collectively. And this goes back to uh, collaboration and collectiveness. You know, let's move away from individual competition and let's start working together. I really believe that what needs to to be done now is for leaders to start encouraging collective thinking, collective efforts, and move away from the, the old paradigm of, oh, I'm the leader, I mm. need to have the answers, you know, and burn themselves out. Mm. And just move, you know, shift to, to this new paradigm of, we're in this together, I don't have the answers, let's see what we can do, work, work on together, and let's move away from all this rules-based management. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and basically, and experiment, and move mm-hmm. into new things. So basically creating a sort of, collective space where people can co-create but step into their power individually but move into find their tribe and move into something more collective in terms of the impact they can have on their on their system yeah and this goes back to curiosity i think curiosity is such a it's such a powerful trait because that gives way to to learning to trying out new things experimenting to innovative thinking and solutions uh, creativity and it's also about being curious when I say curiosity it's also curious about other people mm. which bring it brings in the EQ parts so of the emotional intelligence mm. which I go back it cannot be what well, you can't I don't believe somebody can be emotionally available to somebody else if they are not aware of their self, of themselves completely so we're back to the self-love around acceptance non-judgment kindness and essentially self-awareness which is the starting point for change whether it's systems change or or individual change you have to start there don't you yeah okay okay excellent i'm going to leave our listeners with those calls for action thank you very much deb's coming and sharing your thoughts how can um, people get in touch with you to find out more about what you do more about leading dragons yeah so i've got um a youtube channel okay um under deborah abbott and there you can see all my podcasts i will very soon be publishing my website called leadingdragons.com okay excellent thank you so watch out for leadingdragons.com which we'll put on your youtube channel i 
Yeah, and I'm I'm also you can find me in LinkedIn under um, a leading dragons too, as well as um, Deborah Abbott. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Debs. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Let's Talk, and if so, head over to iTunes and leave us your review and your opinion. So it's bye from me for now, and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk. <laughs>